Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 21. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 21. As you find your way, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then after that, you hit the historical section of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel. 1st and 2nd Kings, and then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So turn with me, if you don't mind, to 2nd Chronicles and chapter number 21. 2nd Chronicles and chapter number 21. Now we're in a series dealing with the idea of the lineage of Christ, and we're tracing through each of the family members of Jesus Christ from Adam all the way up to Jesus Christ. There are 64 generations, 64 people within that direct lineage. And as we study this, we can also see that we're studying through the history of, e uh, of Israel. Now, one of the important features of the Bible is that God is honest with us. Now, if you were to look at someone's family history, oftentimes you would see people whitewash. Like if you were to look through a lineage of some royal li lineage, even if the guy was a scumbag, they would try to find something good to say and kind of whitewash everything else. Well, inside of the Bible, God doesn't whitewash anything. He points out that they were failures, they were sinners, they had issues, and he accurately points out things in people's lives that needed to be addressed, things that were wrong for our learning and for our benefit. And as we find our way to the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 21, 2 Chronicles chapter 21, notice with me in verse 1, Serena turn me up, 2 Chronicles 21 in verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, uh, Ahaziah, and Jehiel, and Zechariah, and Ahaziah, and Michal, and Sepharitha. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave he to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and diverse also of the princes of Israel." Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of of the Lord. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, as he has promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. In the days 
In his days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him. And he rose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same also did Libna revolt from under his hand. Because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah. And caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication. And compelled Judah thereto. And there came a writing from him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father. Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father. Nor in the ways of Asa king of of Judah, but thou hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and thy goods, and thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until the bowels fall out by the reason of sickness day by day. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians, which were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives, so that there was never a son left him, save Jehoiaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. And it came to pass that in the process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so that he died of sore diseases. And his people made no burning for him like the burning of his father's. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they burned him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchers of the kings. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 21, 2 Chronicles 21, and notice the phrase that it talks about this young king and verse number six, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. He had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And with this, here is a principle that we can learn from his life. What is the principle? That when you fail to follow the Lord, things fall apart. When you fail to follow the Lord, things fall apart. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, give us much discernment as we open up this passage of your word and that we could learn more about you and this young king, that you would help us to have a discerning spirit, that we could see what is it that was the cause of all of this hardship in his life. And we could see the results of it and that we could be warned from those same things. Fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you set things in order in this message, that you deliver it the way that you desire to get accomplished, that you would make it clear and a help. 
Thank you, Lord. My desire is not to waste these good folks' time. I'm praying that you would let this be a help. And in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we read through the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 21, we discussed and examined the reign of Jehoram. Now, when we read this, definitely is not a good story. It's not an accounting that you say, hey, I want that to happen in my life. What happened? What went wrong? Well, of course, we understand as we go through history that we started off as Israel was brought into the promised land by God, by his great hand, that God had delivered them out of Egypt from bondage, from slavery, and he delivered them by parting the Red Sea, by many miracles to show that God had a strong right hand. He brought them into the land, and after a while, the people desired a king for themselves, and so God gave them a king after their own heart and gave gave them King Saul. Afterwards, God gave them a king after his own heart and gave them King David, a good king. Well, King David ruled for a while and then gave it to his son Solomon, who was the wisest man who had lived and God had blessed him in his kingdom. However, towards the end of Solomon's life, he turned away from God and it showed up in the life of his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam made foolish decisions and so because of that, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and you had the southern kingdom of Judah. Now in the northern kingdom of Israel, there were 18 kings all of them were evil. In the southern kingdom, there were 18 kings. Five of them were good. And we've already seen two of the good kings. We saw Asa, who was a good man. And you saw Jehoshaphat, Jehoram's mother or father. So what you have is Jehoram <coughs> here. Jehoram had a godly father who tried to live for the Lord. His grandfather Asa was a godly man who tried to live for the Lord. And so here is Jehoram with a great lineage now. He is a descendant of David, the man after God's own heart. His grandfather Asa tried to do what was right. His father Jehoshaphat tried to do what was right. Unfortunately, Jehoshaphat, while he tried to seek after God, also tried to be friends with the world. The problem is, is that he wanted the world to accept him. And we start to learn a principle here. That what we do in moderation, our kids will do in excess. That our kids will always go a lot further than we ever intended to go. And because Jehoshaphat tried to be friends with the world, he tried to be friends with the northern kingdom of Israel and said, Hey, we're just like you. You're the same people. We're just in different kingdoms. I want to be your friend. You'll be my friend. We saw last on Wednesday that Jehoshaphat got in lots of trouble and got himself in places and situations he shouldn't have been in because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. However, he did try to seek after God. Well, after spending time in the courts of Israel... His son Jehoram was also influenced with those wicked kings. Who do you have up in Israel? Well, you have the most wicked villain that's pictured inside of the history of Israel, Ahab. Ahab was a wicked guy. He was horrible. And as if it made it worse, his wife was Jezebel. Jezebel was so wicked that nobody tries to name their daughter Jezebel today. Have you met too many Jezebels? You know what? I want to name my daughter Jezebel. That's not the name you want to carry along with it. But yet Jehoshaphat, because he wanted to get along with the northern kingdom, hung out, hung out with one of the most wicked king couples that was found in the entire world. 
Jezebel and Ahab had a son by the name of Jehoram. So Jehoshaphat says, hey, I like this family. I'm going to name my child after Ahab's kid. And so he called his name Jehoram. And all of this is influenced because Jehoram says, hey, dad likes this people. These people must be good people. This must be the people I must be like. And so the next thing you know, he finds himself dating Ahab's and Jezebel's daughter. Now again, could you imagine that your um, son comes home and says, mom, dad, I want you to meet my, my daughter. Now, one of the first things, or my, my wife, I want, I, my girlfriend, I want you to meet her. Now, one of the first questions a parent should ask is, who are our parents? What do they do? Tell me about them. And if you were to somehow know that your, your son's girlfriend is the daughter of the evil Jezebel, might you might have a little objection on that. Maybe we need to think about this and see if this is the right woman for you. But instead, he married Jezebel's daughter. And by the way, like daughter, or like mother, like daughter. We're going to see the influence of Athaliah all throughout these kings. And we could see the influence of them. Now, if you don't mind, as we could see Jehoram, he is now the son of a great lineage. His grandfather Jehoshaphat tried to live for the Lord. His great, great or his uh, grandfather Asa tried to live for the Lord. His great, great, great grandfather was David and he tried to live for the Lord. But here's Jehoram who's now influenced by the world, has influence to do things that are wrong and he choose, chose not to follow after God and his entire reign could be listed failure after failure after failure because he failed to follow after God. How do we see his failures? Well, first of all, he failed as a son. He failed as a son. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 5. Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old. So notice, he's not a young whippersnapper. He's 32 years old. He should have some maturity, some understanding with him. He was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. Why? For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil, in the eyes of the Lord. So his father Jehoshaphat had tried to live a way that Jehoram could follow after his life. How to live rule wisely. How to follow after God. But Jehoram had to make a choice. Do I follow the example of my dad? Or do I follow after Ahab, the most wicked king who's ever known? Inside of the history of Israel. Who do I choose? Godly, ungodly. Follow after God, wicked. I know I'm going to live like Ahab. I really like the way he, he looks like he has a good time. Him and his family look like they're living the greatest type of life. Let's follow that type of life. And so because of that, he did what was wickedly in the eyes of God. And he failed to live the way that he should. He chose to allow his wife to influence him. And by the way, she's going to be the backdrop of a lot of things going on. It's his wife that tells him, maybe we shouldn't serve God. Maybe we should do something else. Because he married wrong, it wrecked a lot of things in his life. And instead of following after God, 
he now failed as a son, failed to live after the pattern that his dad wanted him to follow. Not only did he fail as a son, but he failed as a brother. Now, this is horrifying. And verse number two, it lists all of the sons of Jehoshaphat. And in verse number three, their father Jehoshaphat gave great gifts of silver and gold and precious things and fenced cities of Judah, but the kingdom he gave to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So here's Jehoshaphat who tried to live a godly example. And he tried to leave an inheritance for all of his kids. He gave them gold, gave them silver, gave them cities, gave them responsibilities. But he made Jehoram the firstborn. His job was going to be the rule of the kingdom. So you almost expect, because they come from a godly heritage and a godly family, that Jehoram becomes king and he uses his brothers to, be, uh, to help him rule. But nope, his wife is Athaliah. And she says, you know what? Those brothers over there, they want your spot. They want to be king. And you better be careful because they're going to try to wipe you out. You give them half a chance. They're going to come to kill you. And so because of her urging, and by the way, we see that urging later on. Verse number four. Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and he slew all his brethren with the sword. So when he became established. And he was fairly became king. He killed all of his brothers. Now when we talk about brothers. We're actually talking about blood related brothers. The people he grew up with. He said they're a threat to my reign. I'm going to kill them all. Where does that thinking come from? Well again it's the influence of Athaliah. And Ahab and Jezebel. To protect your own. Get rid of any rivals. Get rid of them. That's how the world thinks. This is such a horrible thing. Let's look at the brothers. Now remember that names mean something. Let's look at the names of his brothers. Verse number 2. And the brethren of the sons of Jehoshaphat. Azariah. Azariah means whom Jehovah helps. Happy is the man that hath the God of Jacob for his help. Psalm 147.5 says this. How, that's a good name. How whom Jehovah helps. Man, God can help anyone who desires to look at God. God, if they seek after God, he'll be found. In fact, his name was so important that Jehoshaphat named two of his sons Azariah. So you had Azariah 1 and Azariah 2. They're both brothers. God helps. God helps. Notice there's a second name here. Jehiel. This means God lives. Perhaps this truth was impressed on Jehoshaphat's heart by the birth of his son, uh, third son. God lives. Look at what God has done. I want to name my son in celebration knowing that God lives. Here's another name, Zechariah. Zechariah means whom Jehovah remembers. Whom Jehovah remembers. Aren't you glad when God remembers us and he didn't forget about us? He cares for us and he loves us. These are kids who are raised with a godly heritage. Then you had Azariah again and then you had Mikhail. Mikhail means he who is like unto God. Think about this. He's raising this young man. Jehoshaphat's raising this young man to walk like God, to follow after God, to live his life following after him. What a great name. He who is like unto God. Oh, and then you had 
um, Shephetheth. I can't say his name correctly. But his name means whom Jehovah defends. And I'm glad that we could run up to God and he could be our protection, our high tower in a time of need. But Jehoram said, you know what? I know we were raised in a household. And I know my brothers have a desire to try to serve God. But they're in my way. And so it make sure they're not in my way. I'm going to kill my brothers. So no one will dare threaten me. He failed as a brother. His brothers were expecting him to be a good king to them. Instead, he slew them. So much so that the prophet Elijah posthumously had sent a letter to, to, um, to Jehoram. By the way, there was a conflict between Elijah and Ahab. Ahab was the wicked king and Elijah was that thorn in his side, that preacher who kept popping up to make him miserable to remind him that God wasn't happy with him. And so here Ahab has influenced this godly line and Elijah pops up to write a letter. Notice this letter in verse number 12. There came a writing unto him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David of thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah. So he says, because you haven't walked in the ways of your dad or your grandfather, verse number 13, but thou hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like the whoredoms of the house of Ahab. And also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house. Notice what he said about them. Which were better than thyself. You know your brothers had a desire to live for the Lord. Your brothers had a desire to serve God. They were better than you. And you killed them. Just because you didn't want any threats upon your reign. Because you didn't want anyone to challenge you. Or even just perceive that they would challenge you. You killed your brothers and they were better than you. He failed as a, as a son. He failed as a brother. Then he failed as a king. He failed as a king. How did he fail as a king? Well, we know everything rises and falls on leadership. Notice if you don't mind as we see a snapshot of some of his reign. Verse number 8. In the days... the in his days, the Edomites revolted under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. So let's start here. Beforehand, uh, the Edomites had actually been allies and actually been under the authority of the kingdom of Judah. But when they saw Jehoram and saw that he was a weak, uh, feeble king, they said, we don't want a king like this to rule over us. And so they said, we're done. See you later. And so they revolted. After they revolt, the Libyans revolt. Notice in verse number six, uh, 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians and were near the Ethiopians. And they came up to Jerusalem and break it and carried away his substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives. And there was never a son left to him except for Jehoiaz, the youngest of his sons. Now because he refused to follow after God, God removed his protection. And now the kingdom is open and vulnerable. And next thing you know, all the enemies start coming around and they take everything, including his children. His children are dragged away. His family members are dragged away. He's the one who was killing his brothers and sisters. So now as a result, his kids are dragged away. Only one is left behind. He didn't get rid of the wife though. Athaliah was still there and available. But 
His whole reign is falling apart. Instead of having the stabilization, instead of having the prosperity, the kingdom's falling apart. But not only the kingdom itself, the morality, the inside of the kingdom was falling apart. Jump with me if you don't mind in verse number uh, 11. Moreover, he made the high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. What does this mean? Well, here is a king who says, guess what, guys? Ignore what God says. You live whatever lifestyle you want. You commit whatever sin you want. You just have a good time. It's all about you. And so now instead of serving God, everyone's involved in sexual sins. And everyone's more worried about their pleasure than everything else. You said, this is horrible. It is absolutely horrible. Why are we talking about it? Because it's history. Why is this so important? Because we have to understand that not everyone in the lineage of Christ was living a perfect life. But God desired to use every single one of them. You know, Jehoram could have came to Christ if he wanted to. Jehoram could have gotten things right. Even with everything he did, God would have allowed him to come back and helped restore some of those things. He had a choice and all of it centered, what did he want to do with God? Well, what do we understand about this? Well, we know that God desires to have a fellowship between each one. The main purpose of our life is that we want to be in heaven. Do you know everything that the Bible describes about heaven is that it's perfect? That there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But the problem is, dear friend, is that none of us are perfect. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible explains that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me give you an example. The Bible gives us in the Ten Commandments or a section of the Bible called the Ten Commandments. And in there is God's rules of holiness. God's rules of being perfect. One of those Ten Commandments is to honor thy father and thy mother. Basically, we would say like this, that we're supposed to obey our folks. Well, I'm a pastor of a church, but I've disobeyed my folks. If you've disobeyed your folks, raise your hand if you've ever disobeyed your folks, okay? So uh, parents are making sure their kids are raising their hand. We've disobeyed God's law. We're not perfect. Well, the Bible gives another Ten Commandment that we're not supposed to bear false witness. We would say it this way, don't tell lies. Well, I'm a pastor of a church, but I've told lies. How many of you ever told a lie before? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've all broken God's law. Every single one of us. And the Bible says, just using logic, let's go with this. You can't set something that's not perfect and place it in a perfect place. It would ruin it, wouldn't it? For example, I have three kids. Let's say that they went outside and played in the mud. And they got nice and muddy. And they took their muddy clothes and put it on a clean pile of clothes my wife just got through washing. What would happen to that pile of clothes? They would become dirty as well. The, clean, the dirty clothes didn't become clean because they touched the clean clothes. The clean clothes became dirty because they came in contact with something that was dirty. Well, the same thing's true about heaven. If you take something that's not perfect and put it in that perfect place, that non-perfect thing does not become perfect. Instead, it corrupts the perfect thing. This is why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But we've all sinned and missed that perfection. We've all missed it. 
Some people will tell me, I just talked with someone the other day and I asked him, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven? He says, yes, I know without a doubt that I'm going to heaven. Well, praise the Lord. How do you know for sure? If Jesus met you outside the gates of heaven and said, why should I let you in? What would you tell him? He said, because I put my kids in Catholic school. So because you did that, you're, you're going to heaven. He says, let me tell you, I'm a good person. Was being a good person enough to go to heaven? Some people say, well, I live a good life. Well, let's, let's take it for granted that you do. Let's say that I lived a great life and I only sinned three times a day. I broke the speed limit. I lost my temper or I got mad at my wife and I told a little white lie. Now, if that's all I did in one day, that's living a great life. My wife wants a husband like that who, who only sins three times a day. Well, Sinning three times a day, that's living a great life. But do you know at the end of one year, just sinning three times a day, you would have racked up 1,000 sins? At the end of 20 years, just sinning three times a day, that would be 20,000 sins. At age 50, sinning three times a day, living a great life, that would be 50,000 sins to your account. And God says that you can't have one sin to be imperfect. You have to be perfect to come to heaven. And every time we sin, we're not perfect. So let's imagine that someone who sinned three times a day, that's it, living a great life, went, died at age 50. And they approached God with 50,000 sins to their account. Would they look that good anymore? Not at all. And by the way, we all do more than three sins a day. We all sin and mess up. You say, preacher, this isn't good news. I know, and it gets worse. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What's a sin? Sin is any time we've broken God's law, like the Ten Commandments, that we tell a lie, we, we uh, disobey our folks, break any of the Ten Commandments. For the wages of sin. What is a wage? A wage is something we earn. It's a payment. For example, when we go to work, we earn money. We get a pay, uh, a wage, a payment, a reward. Well, the Bible says, because I've told one lie, because I've disobeyed my folks once, for the wages of sin is death. That word death carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral here and we had a casket up here, we would have the body inside of it and we would say that person is dead. Why? Because their body is here, but their soul is somewhere else. There's a separation. Does that make sense? Well, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? That means that because I've sinned, because I've broken God's law, because I'm not perfect, I don't deserve to be with God. I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. I don't deserve to be with God. I deserve that separation. Now, when we die, the Bible only says there's two places to go when we die. You either go to a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. The Bible talks about hell that God never intended a single human to go to hell. He created to punish Satan and his demons. However, man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. He deserves to be separated from God and that's the only other place. You said that's really bad news. It is. The good news is, is that God finished off that verse in Romans 6.23 when he said, for the wages of sin is death. But... 
the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God loved us so much that he didn't want us to die and go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is he robed himself in flesh. And came on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks. But Jesus did not ever sin. He never broke God's law. He lived a perfect life. Then they beat him, put him on a false trial. And they nailed him to a cross where he died horribly. To pay that wage that you and I owe God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus paid that debt that we owed him. Jesus died on the cross. They buried him on, in a borrowed tomb. But the third day Jesus arose again to live forevermore. Why is that so important? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ teaches us two things. First of all, that Jesus was indeed God. And that second of all, that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made for us. You see, because we owe God a price, we can't pay it ourselves. Jesus volunteered to pay that price for us so we don't have to. And he gave it to us as a free gift. For example, if I was to hand you a gift... Would you have to pay me money for that gift? No. If I gave you a gift, would you have to mow my lawn for that gift? To, if I gave you a gift, you didn't even technically have to be nice to me. The only thing you had to do was receive it and make it part of yourself. Well, the same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. To go to heaven, you don't have to pay money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't have to help little ladies cross the street. Those are good things and things we ought to do. But those things don't get us to heaven. The only thing that gets us to heaven is that Jesus Christ paid our price. And we willingly receive that gift that he did. He paid the price already. We just have to receive that gift. How do I receive that gift? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? That means we have to ask for it. Receive that gift. Now, a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All you're doing in that prayer is that you are recognizing that gift and you're accepting it for yourself. He gave, did everything for the gift. You are just receiving it for yourself. You said it's that easy. Yes, it's that easy. Why did God make it that easy? Because he wants every single person to come to heaven. If God made it a requirement that you had to pay a million dollars to go to heaven, not all of us would make it. In fact, there's not a millionaire in this room. I doubt if there's thousandaires in this room. Yes. <laughs> but God made it so anyone could go to heaven. Whether you're a child or a senior saint. Because it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man shall boast. God wants everyone to have their sins forgiven. You said, preacher, you don't understand. I am a horrible sinner. I believe you. But let me tell you how great of a savior he is. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything. You said, but you don't understand what I did was so horrible. Did you know that God is able to forgive murderers? There are two famous murderers in the Bible. A man by the name of David. And a man by the name of Apostle Paul. They both committed murders. And God forgave them of their sins. Now, I'm not giving us permission to murder. What I am trying to say is that no matter what you have done. God is willing to forgive you of it. To wash you clean. To make it so that way you can be in heaven. Not because of how great you are. But because of how great he is. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. You said, but you don't realize how many times I've sinned. I do not realize how many times you've sinned, but I know he's willing to forgive you of each and every one of them. Let me tell you, there's a wonderful thing to be clean. There's a wonderful thing to be spiritually clean. And you can have it. Let me tell you, dear friend, that if you've never have been forgiven of your sins, you've never been washed free, you've never accepted that free gift of salvation, let me tell you, you could accept it today. There's no magic words. There's no necessary handshake. It's just as simple as trusting God at His promise. And just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And all, there's nothing magical about the altars. It's just a time where we invite you to respond to Him. And it would be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you from God's Word how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. That you can know without a doubt that you have a home in heaven. And that you can learn how to follow after God and walk after Him and be pleasing to Him in all of your ways. There is a principle that we find in the life of Jehoram that the failure to follow after God led a failure in life. And without a doubt, we're living in a world with so many people who have their lives falling apart around them. The good news is that God can restore those lives if you just come to Him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.